0: Frank Roberts, Junior High presents an audio production of A Christmas Carl, A Ghost Story of Christmas by Charles Dickens.
1: Dave, 2, the first of the Three Spirits. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that, looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavoring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighboring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven, and from seven to eight, and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve! It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve! Why, it isn't possible that I could have
0: slept through a whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible that anything has happened to the sun, and this is twelve at noon.
1: The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir. Scrooge went to bed again and thought and thought and thought it over and over and over. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in this state until the chime had gone three quarters more when he remembered, on a sudden, that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was past. The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length it broke upon his listening ear. Ding dong. A quarter past. Ding dong.
0: Half past. Ding dong. A quarter to it.
1: Ding dong. The hour itself and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn aside by a hand. Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, It had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright clear jet of light, and a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm.
0: Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Spirit, put on your cap. The light is hurting my eyes.
2: What? Would you soon- Put out with worldly hands the light I give. Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this
3: cap
0: and forced me through the years to wear it low upon my brow? I meant no offense. Spirit, tell me, what brings you here? Your welfare. I am much obliged, but a night of unbroken rest would benefit me greatly.
2: Your reclamation, then. Take heed, rise,
1: and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes, that his bed was warm, and the thermometer a long way below freezing, that he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing-gown, and nightcap, and that he had a cold upon him at that time. The spirit had grasped his arm, and though it was gentle grasp, was not to be resisted. He rose... BUT FINDING THAT THE SPIRIT MADE TOWARDS THE WINDOW, CLASPED HIS ROBE IN FEAR. I AM A MORTAL AND LIABLE TO FALL.
0: BEAR BUT A TOUCH OF MY HAND UPON MY HEART, BUT YOU SHALL BE
2: upheld IN MORE THAN THIS.
1: AS THE WORDS WERE SPOKEN, THEY PASSED THROUGH THE WALL, AND STOOD UPON AN OPEN COUNTRY ROAD, WITH FIELDS ON EITHER HAND. THE CITY HAD ENTIRELY VANISHED. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, I was a boy here! The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Scrooge was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares, long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, and what is that upon your cheek? It
0: is nothing. Lead me where you will. You recollect the way. Remember it? I could walk it blindfolded. Strange, to have forgotten it for
1: so many years. Let us go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree, until a little market town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting towards them with boys upon their back who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. These are but
2: shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. As the
1: boys came nearer, Scrooge knew and named every one. Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten, and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas, as they parted at crossroads and byways, for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas, what good had it ever done to him? The school is not
2: quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is
1: left there still. I know it. (laughs) They left the high road, and by a well-remembered lane, and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick. They entered a dreary hall, and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold, and vast. There was an earthy smell in the air, a chilly bareness in the place. The ghost and Scrooge went across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room made bare still by the lines of empty desks. At one of these a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire and Scrooge had sat down and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self intent upon his reading. I wish,
0: but it's too late now. What is the matter? Nothing, nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given something, that's all. Let us see another Christmas.
1: Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, and fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling. But how all this was brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, that everything had happened so, that there he was, alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost, and with a mournful shaking of his head, and glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in, and putting her arms about his neck, and
3: often kissing him,
1: addressed him as her.
3: Dear, dear brother, I've come to bring you home, dear brother, to bring you home. Home, little fan? Yes, home, for good, home for ever and ever. Father is much kinder than he used to be. That home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you may come home. And he said, yes, you should. He sent me in a coach to come bring you, and you'll never to come back here. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world.
1: You are quite a woman, little fan. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head but being too little laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him then she began to drag him in her childish eagerness towards the door and he accompanied her
2: always a delicate
0: creature womb a breath might have withered but she had a large heart. so she had you're right i will not deny it spirit god forbid she died a woman and had as i think children one child. True, your
2: nephew.
1: Yes. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where shadowy passengers passed and repassed, where shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way, and all the strife and tumult of a real city were. It was made plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again, but it was evening and the streets were lit up. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and turned to Scrooge. Do you know this place? Know it. I was apprenticed here. They went in. They saw an old gentleman in a Welsh wig, sitting behind a high desk. Why, it's old Fezziwig, bless his heart. It's Fezziwig, alive again. Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his capacious waistcoat, laughed and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice. Yo-ho there, Ebenezer. Dick? Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins,
0: to be sure. Bless me, yes. There he is. He was very much attached to me. Yo-ho, my boys, no more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson. Hilly-ho, clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hilly-ho, Dick. Cheer up, Ebenezer.
1: Clear away? There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away, or couldn't have cleared away, with old Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off. The floor was swept and watered, the lamps were trimmed, fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright as a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book, and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it, and tuned like fifty stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, Beaming and lovable, in came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid, with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook, with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly. Some pushing, some pulling, in they all came. Anyhow and everyhow. Away they all went. Twenty couples at once. Hands half round and back again the other way. Down the middle and up again. Round and round in various groupings. Old Fezziwig clapped his hands to stop the dance. Well done! The fiddler plunged his hot face into a pot of porter. Especially provided for that purpose. But scorning rest, upon his reappearance he instantly began again, though there were no dancers yet, as if the other fiddler had been carried home, exhausted, on a shutter, and he were a brand new man resolved to beat him out of sight or perish. But the great effect of the evening came when the fiddler struck up Sir Roger de Coverley, that old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. If they had been four times as old, Fezziwig would have been a match for any of them. And so would Mrs. Fezziwig. As to her, she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. If that's not high praise, tell me higher and I'll use it. When the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two apprentices, they did the same to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away, and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene, and with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. It was not until now, when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them, that he remembered the ghost, and became conscious that it was looking full upon him, while the light upon its head burnt very clear.
2: A small matter to make these silly folks so full of
1: gratitude. Small? The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig,
2: he has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four, perhaps
0: is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that spirit he has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toll. the happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune.
2: What is the matter?
0: Nothing particular. Something, I think. No, no. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. My
2: time
1: grows short. Quick. This was not addressed to Scrooge, or to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye which showed the passion that had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress in whose eyes there were tears which sparkled in the light that shone out of the
3: ghost of Christmas past. It matters little to you, Very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the
0: even-handed dealing of the world. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth.
3: You fear the world too much. All of your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of a sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one, until the master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? What then? Even if I have grown so much
0: wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you, am I?
3: Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until, in good season... We could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Your own feeling tells you that you were not what you are. I am. That which promised happiness when we were in one heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words? No. Never. In what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, another hope as its great end, in everything that you made my love or of any worth or value in your sight. If this have never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Ah, no. You think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows, if you were free today, Would you choose a dowerless girl, who you weigh everything by again? I think not. So I release you, with a full heart, for the love of him you once were. You may the memory of what is past half makes me hope you will have pain in this, a very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it, gladly as an unprofitable dream, from which it happened well that you have awoke. May you be happy in the life that you have chosen. Spirit...
0: "'Show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me?'
2: "'One shadow more.'
0: "'No more, no more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more.'
1: But the relentless ghost pinioned him in both his arms, and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in another scene and place, a room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl so like that last, that Scrooge believed it was the same, until he saw her, now a comely matron, sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count, and every child was conducting itself like forty. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief, but no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laughed heartily, and enjoyed it very much. But now, a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. The children rushed the porter, who was struggling with the onslaught, the shouts of wonder and delight with which the development of every package was received, the joy and gratitude and ecstasy It is enough that by degrees the children and their emotions got out of the parlor, and by one stare at a time, up to the top of the house where they went to bed, and so subsided. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever, when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. And when he thought that such another creature, quite as graceful and full of promise, might have called him father, and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life. His sight grew very dim indeed.
3: Belle, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. How can I? Um, I don't know. Mr. Scrooge? Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and as it was not shut up, and he had a candle inside, I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear, and there he sat alone, quite alone in the world, I do believe.
0: Spirit, remove me from this place.
2: I told you these were shadows of the things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not
1: blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face, in which in some strange way there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him wrestled with it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. In the struggle, if that can be called a struggle, in which the ghost with no visible resistance on its own part was undisturbed by any effort of its adversary, Scrooge observed that its light was burning high and bright and dimly connecting that with its influence over him. He seized the extinguisher cap, and by a sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it, so that the extinguisher covered its whole form. But though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light, which streamed from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. He was conscious of being exhausted, and overcome by irresistible drowsiness, and further, of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hand relaxed and had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep.
0: This is the end of Stave 2. Our story continues in the next episode with Stave 3, where Scrooge will be visited by the ghost of Christmas present. We hope you are enjoying our audio production of A Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas by Charles Dickens.